Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. The village, which is Highland Village First Baptist Church, called Matt Chandler uh, to be the lead pastor. Matt got here, let's just call it uh, 2003, because it was December of 2002. So in 2003, uh, there was pretty tremendous growth. We grew at uh, about a thousand people a year for over a decade. And, uh, and I got there a year into that. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my man and co-host, Josh Hunter. And we're, you're not the only Josh here today, are you? I'm not the only Josh here today. Actually, we're excited to talk with Josh Patterson, the lead pastor over ministry leadership at the Village Church, who served on staff there since 2004. And he's really been a big part of everything that the Lord has done there. He's also co-author of the book, Creature of the Word. Josh, first of all, like, what a great name, <laughs> if I can just <laughs> say you, that brother. now. It's a wonderful name. Um, but welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, guys. Oh, honored to be here. Yeah. So are, are both of you all, is it Joshua or, or is it just Josh? It's Joshua for me. Okay. Joshua for me. Okay. Joshua Caleb and Joshua Rice. Joshua Rice. Right. I got my mom's maiden name okay. as a middle name. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, Josh, I know for us, we know, um, just as, as Josh shared in your bio. Oh, this is going to get so confusing. This is going to be confusing, um, but we'll just we'll just Maybe call me it. like Juicy J. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, that's not happening. Um, what we'd love to do um, is to hear a little bit about a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you've been in, in over the years that have led to you being at the Village Church in the role you're in today. Yeah, wow. Well, um, one thing that, you know, as, uh, as I've done back, uh, done some work and reflected back and thought about my story and all that the Lord has done, um, it really is amazing for me to think about how the Lord has been orchestrating my life even before I knew him. And um, just his sovereign reign, his providence, his goodness. And uh, I came to faith at 19 and um, and he was certainly working in and in, in and kind of through my life before I knew him, um, which has always been humbling and, and really exciting. Uh, as I've reflected back. And so uh, in terms of leadership roles, um, my story, man, is, is tough. Uh, middle school, high school, those were really tough years for me. I came from a, hmm. a pretty busted up home and, and a pretty broken situation. And um, I, I did not exhibit a lot of formal leadership. Uh, I exhibited a ton of rebellion in, in those years, uh, except I always had the, the ability really to influence people. Uh, and sadly, in those years, that influence was used for ill instead of good. Um, but it was there. Um, and I, I could see that. A lot of my formal kind of leadership roles really started to take shape once I came to faith. I came to faith at 19, just to, just uh, my freshman year of college. And uh, at that point, I started leading a little bit more formally. I, I led in a fraternity that I was a part of. I started uh, leading in some church circles and uh, I mean, it was everything from uh, I, I would lead study groups to um, having different kind of formal roles uh, in organizations in college. And it, it just kind of took off from there. Man, that's really cool to hear that God redeemed. I mean, the, the leadership qualities were there and God when yeah. he saved you, brought those to light and allowed you to, to lead in some different ways. Um, so love to hear that. 
Um, well, of course, throughout those different leadership roles, you ended up at the Village Church, which um, I would say is one of the most influential churches in America. But what many may not know is that before the Village Church was, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, it was the Highland Village First Baptist Church, correct? That's correct. So I, I know the church it had a, a leadership change, changed its name, and experienced tremendous growth over the past um, you know, 15, 20 years. And, and in those early days as a leader, what did it look like when you stepped into that role? And then, of course, as the growth occurred, how did you grow as a leader? And some of the, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned during that? Yeah, that uh, uh, all of the kind of informal leadership that, that we had just talked about, <clears throat> which was present, um, really began to be formalized at the village. So before I got here, um, I was on staff at another church, <clears throat> excuse me, doing an internship and learning a lot and getting to lead in, in really valuable ways. Um, and so again, that, that leadership presence was always really a part of my story and a part of my life. Um, when I got to the village, I came on as the college and singles pastor. I did that for a year from 2004 to 2005. And then from 2005 to 2010 was uh, the executive pastor here at the church. And, um, and then from 2010 to the present and, and now uh, one of, we have three lead pastors. I'm, I'm one of the three lead pastors here. So as you, you talked about a leadership change, a name change, tremendous growth, all of that happened really at the end of 2002, hmm. the village, which is Highland Village First Baptist Church called Matt Chandler uh, to be the lead pastor. Matt got here, let's just call it uh, 2003 because it was December of 02. So in 2003, uh, there was pretty tremendous growth. We grew at uh, about a thousand people a year for over a decade. And, uh, wow. and I got there a year into that. And so if I think about how leaders grow um, and uh, in general, and I, I certainly would attest to this from my own story is leaders grow through challenges. And uh, I was brought into a situation that was both really exciting. Uh, the move of the spirit was profound. Uh, we were seeing lives changed and people uh, showing up in droves and but we were all in over our heads. And, um, and I think about it like this, um, as the organization grows, it forces its leaders to grow. And as leaders grow, they force change and growth into the organization. So it's kind of this dynamic relationship between an organization or an entity or a family or whatever it is. As a family grows, as an organization grows, it forces the participants in that organization to grow along with it or it's, it's kind of a grow or go mentality. And, um, and that forced tremendous growth in me as, as a person, as a man, as a leader. And um, it, <laughs> I think about the, the kind and type of leader that I was then and, and how the Lord has refined me and matured me and grown me over the last 15 years being here. It's uh, truly humbling, um, but, but it has come through challenge. And, and I don't, I don't see challenge in a bad word. Uh, there were there were definitely seasons that were hard, but challenge in the good sense, where I was kind of brought to the threshold of my growth, and um, and I was forced to stretch. Uh, I was forced to grow. I was forced to learn. I was forced into dependence. Um, so I, I there's an article um, by John Cotter in the Harvard Business Review 
where he talks about um, what leaders really do. And he, he's really differentiating between leaders and managers. And one of the things that he talks about in, in leaders and leadership is leaders navigate and negotiate change. And we were in a very high change environment and it gave me the opportunity to navigate and negotiate change on behalf of the church, on behalf of the organization, on behalf of the staff. Um, and he talks about leaders being developed in those early years. The way that you get leaders later is you force them, not force them, maybe invite them or provide them with those types of challenging, change-rich environments early in their trajectory. And you get a different type of leader on the back end of that. I didn't know any of that at that point. I was just experiencing it. And so um, that, that was my experience in those early years, just high change, uh, a, lot of, a lot of pressure and good pressure and challenge that really forced me to grow as a man and a leader. That, that is, like you said, it's tremendous growth. And I actually didn't even know, what'd you say it was a thousand a year for a decade? Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sure. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure when you signed up for that, you had no clue what God had, no, <laughs> had in store. Absolutely not. Um, I mean, definitely overwhelming. How, I mean, that, that moment, I'm sure there as a leadership team, you all looked at each other at some point were like, wow, how, how do we do this? <laughs> right. Like, uh, you know, very gracious that God would allow you to, to lead that. Did you turn to others? Like what were some, did you turn to outside some people outside that circle for, for, wisdom on, on how to lead that change? Uh, yes and no. Um, we, we tried. And I think one of the challenges, uh, some of, some of our ch challenge early on was attitudinal. Um, there was, there was a sense of, um, we didn't, we didn't think, and we were wrong in this, but we didn't think that we had people who were willing to help us. And some of that we felt, uh, as we were growing and uh, uh, there were people that didn't, uh, didn't love that, you know, um, maybe there were some leaders that had left other local churches and, and had come over to the village. And, and so there were just, there were some challenges and complexities uh, where it felt like um, some of the fathers and the mothers that could have invested in us didn't. And then I think also kind of attitudinally, there was a sense in which, and this is, this is where we were off, where it was like, we're going to do it. Uh, and, and we have a right sense of the way that we need to go. Um, and I, I think there was a lot of youthful pride in that. I mean, if you think about it, we were in our twenties when, when we all got here and when this started. Yeah. Um, and so Matt's now, uh, you know, if the, the guys and gals who were here when we were in our twenties, we're now in our forties. And so we can look back with some reflective wisdom and, and man, there are things that I wish I could have done differently. So to answer your question, did we have help? Yes and no. Um, what I found most helpful in that time was really through peer coaching. And the peer coaching came through uh, other men and women who were walking through similar experiences that could help. Um, and so uh, I know Lifeway knows this and you guys know this, but Kevin Peck and I, uh, Kevin is the lead pastor at the Austin Stone. We both got to our respective churches the same year, 2004. Uh, we were in the same uh, fraternity together in college. We were we were acquaintances more than we were buddies. But Kevin and I struck up a relationship that was one of mutual encouragement and mutual help. 
mm-hmm. as the Austin Stone was experiencing very similar things to the village. And uh, we would get on the phone and, and talk about how we can help one another. And then those phone calls moved to, uh, maybe we need to get together and talk through some of these things. And then that circle of Kevin and, and I started expanding uh, to include a few other people. And, uh, and we started learning from one another. And, um, and we, we started these kind of cohort-based learning environments that were peer-driven, where we, we really moved away from the conferences and we're moving to, let's spend two days together and work through some issues and challenges that we're facing. That was the most valuable uh, coaching that I received uh, in that time. And it was kind of that peer coaching. Uh, interestingly enough, I'm in the season now where I'm actually spending more time now with older men and women. Uh, and my development is coming now from those fathers and those mothers uh, in the faith uh, in a way that I, I didn't have it for, for whatever reason when, when we were younger. I wish we had. And I, again, I think some of that's pride and some of that was a lack of opportunity. No, and I, I loved what you said about the peer the peer group and that really community that you're building yeah. in your leadership. Because I look back on any, what I would consider, you know, success as a leader for me personally, and I actually can't attribute it to anything I've did, but I tri- contribute it to the people who were helping me and encouraging yep. me and holding a mirror to my face in front of me that, that were around me. Right. I think it's so important for the young leader listening. You, you can't get to this destination that you have in mind on your own. Right. It's just right. not going to happen. Um, so I think that was really wise. Uh, so, you know, the moment you realized I'm a leader, I have this influence, I'm starting to understand what leadership is. What was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started, Josh? Like, did you have a failure or, you know, apparent failure that you look back now that you're like, man, I'm, I'm kind of glad that happened. That was a big mistake, but it set me up later for success. Uh, oh man. Yes. Um, <laughs> Here's what's funny. I, I literally, the meeting that I, that I had before uh, we're recording this, I just walked with uh, 15 of our staff members through an exercise of turning points where we're walking through uh, the 15 most significant turning points in the life of the village church and explaining to them how our story has shaped kind of who we are and then where we're going. And so all of this is very fresh for me. Um, and some of those turning points are their failures. Um, and they're hard. I mean, they're hard to revisit. I, I, I think early on in, in the life of the church, when we were growing like gangbusters, man, and, and uh, it, was, it was challenging and fun, God did, and I, you know, where I said I didn't have a ton of, of older influence, there were pockets of faithful people who did pour into me. Um, and... I think looking back, I wish I would have done some of the, some of the harder work um, of understanding who I was, how God wired me, um, what God had put in me. I think we were running at such a pace. Uh, I, I don't think, I know we were, that um, I missed out on some of the, the good opportunity of kind of reflection and consideration and inviting others in. Uh, you know, I did it with some peers. I, I wish I would have been more intentional early on about getting some of those around me who were a little bit older and wiser. Um, and and again, that's that's on me. That's that's one of those things. Looking back, I think I dropped the ball there. I should have done that with more intentionality. I I, I can understand why I didn't do it, 
I just regret that I did it that way. Um, in terms of leadership failure, uh, the most significant leadership failure that I have walked through was actually a really public failure in the life of the village church. And it was a, it was a public failure in that, um, it was no secret. Uh, it was picked up by, uh, bloggers and magazines and Twitter and social media where we had a church discipline case in 2015, uh, that went horribly bad. And it went horribly bad because we led it and led through it in a really bad way. Um, and the people involved in that, um, uh, we hurt and, uh, and, and realized that we had hurt a bunch of other people uh, along the way. And that was, that was public. Uh, that was hard. That was refining. Um, and that was a turning point in the life of the village church. So it's one of those severe mercies where um, had we not walked through that season in 2015, then um, I'm not sure what the trajectory would have been. Uh, so I'm, I'm deeply grateful for it. Uh, and um, and it, I, I just would label it a severe mercy where God opened my eyes to some things that I needed my eyes open to and uh, gave me an empathy in certain areas and in certain contexts of ministry that I had not developed an empathy for. Uh, I think if you would have asked me uh, what I thought about it, I could have given you the right answer if you, mm. uh, but I'm not sure that I had developed a heart and the muscle of the heart to kind of pulse and beat and care for it like I should have. And um, when, I look, when I look at how all of that went down, uh, there were a couple of key moments that um, where I felt something as a leader that I should have gone in this direction. Mm. And I didn't move the organization the way that I felt like we needed to move. And, um, and my abdication in that was costly. And it was costly uh, for a lot of people. Uh, I certainly wasn't the only one that that made mistakes in that season. But as I reflect back, I, I, I can't not own the mistakes that I did make. Yeah. And, um, and we all made them. Uh, we, in fact, we just reflected on them again this morning. Um, it was, it was hard. It was, the, it was a crucible time period. And yet the Lord was so merciful and so gracious and so kind, um, that, um, I'm, I'm glad we walked through it. We're, we're a better place now. We're more caring place now. I think our theology is more woven in with grace and understanding uh, than ever before. And so, uh, and it shaped me as a man yeah. and as a leader. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's well, one of those you, you kind of hate reflecting on, but then are, are grateful for all that God did through it. And Josh, now uh, thanks for your vulnerability. And uh, yeah. I hope that, I hope that can be looked back on as a, like a good scar you know, just yeah. like, just a yeah. good memory, not a good memory, but just something to anchor down that memory. And you can see some growth from that. But I think it would be good for you and however you want to. So I'm a young leader. So I'm, or say I'm 19 to 25 or 30 or whatever. I'm a young leader trying to get my leadership chops. I make a mistake. Could be a moral mm -hmm. failure in ministry. Could just be a classic one-on-one failure to lead well and you lose influence, like whatever it may be. How do you rebound from that mistake as a leader and keep your head up while also addressing the truth of, oh, well, I made this mistake and it's serious and I, and I need to own up to it. Like, what's some advice you would give young leaders to rebound from that? Yeah. Um, 
I'm not sure how you rebound in, unless you, um, unless you own it and humble yourself in the midst of it and, uh, and then just absorb God's love and grace for you in, in the middle of being at the bottom. I mean, the, mm. uh, you know, it, if, yeah, failure's hard, but if you're going to lead, if you're going to kind of enter into the arena of leadership, um, I think about, uh, the, the Roosevelt quote, uh, the, the kind of the idea of daring greatly. Yeah. It's a great if you're going to yeah. If you're going to get into the arena and dare greatly, um, you can expect to fall and, um, you know, or you, and he says, it's not the critic who counts in that moment. Um, but, but what do we do when we fall? Like, how do we get back up? How do we, how do we stand back up and then continue, uh, to live faithfully in the arena? And, um, part of that is just admitting that falling and failing and messing up is a part of leadership. Yeah. As you, as you lead, you're going to make, you're going to make bad decisions. You're going to go in the wrong direction. Um, you know, moral failure is, is slightly different, uh, than I'm trying to kind of courageously lead us in a direction and it's the wrong direction. But in either case, whether you lead in the wrong direction or make a moral failure, in that moment, there has to be an ownership of how I got here. And um, there are the, the crazy thing, and I think what I've learned about my leadership over the years and, and about leadership in general is sometimes um, what compels us to move forward in our leadership is not the love of Christ, according to Second Corinthians five, but our own um, compulsions, our own need for what ministry offers us, and our own need for what leadership provides us. I need platform. I need uh, I need people to follow me because I there's something broken in me mm. that I that I get satisfaction from what this leadership is providing me. So it's like I have to achieve, or I have to be the hero. I have to be kind of seen in this light or that light. And we wind up leading out of a persona or an ideal self, this kind of idealized version of who I wish I was or who I want to be or who I think other people need me to be. And I've really lost sight and disassociated myself from who I actually am. And so in those moments of failure, there has to be a reconnection to the reality of kind of who I am and what led me to this to this place. Um, so there's self-awareness, there's ownership, there's humility, there's admission, there's confession. And then by God's grace, there's the courage to stand back up and continue walking. And, um, you know, it's harder to do it than it is to say it. Uh, it's <laughs> Absolutely. easier, but man, in those moments, they're, they're, they're defining moments. And I think the leaders that I don't trust the most are the ones who cannot uh, own and admit mm. and share those leadership failures. That is uh, so good. Yeah. That, that is, is so, I, that's helpful to remind my, ourselves. My of. mind kind of hurts right now, Josh. So I know it was a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I need, I need to, <laughs> I need to process that's that. That's deep, bro. <laughs> no, that's, well, that's so helpful. Um, and just to go back, I want to, you brought up the, the Roosevelt quote. I'll, I'll kind of summarize it, but it says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. And it's just that idea. It's, it's easy to point things out from the sideline. 
And right. especially before you're in leadership, you want to point out, this is how I would do things. This is oh, how I would. So led. easy to find the flaws. So easy. Yeah. But it is when you step in, you need to know that it's people are going to be pointing fingers. And if you don't own up, it's going to come to the surface anyways. So if you own it and Josh, I think you encapsulated it so well. Um, and, and just to thank, thanks for saying that, but to go off that quote a little bit more, I, I think I've gotten to the place where I'm less willing to receive coaching and critique from people who are not in the arena themselves. Does it make sense? Yeah. You said not in the arena themselves. Yeah. yeah. So the, the quote talks about it. <clears throat> there, there are spectators who are watching and offering their criticism. Mm. Well, that's, that's cowardly criticism, but there's a different type of critique and coaching that comes from someone who is also in the fight with you where they have an appreciation, kind of the, the power of appreciation that I understand the challenges of leadership. I understand that leadership is hard and complex. And so my coaching or my, my critique comes from that posture rather than a posture of distance where I actually have no idea what it's like to lead, but I'm going to offer you my two cents uh, on what you should have done or shouldn't have done. Um, I, I put less stock in that than I do in those who are actually in the fight. Um, and yeah, it's just different for me. Yeah, that's great. So Josh, what is one habit or practice that helped you as a young leader? Oh, probably reflection. Um, I would spend time thinking through my leadership and, uh, like there, there's always just been an impulse in me to grow. Um, and kind of this idea of lifelong learning, um, and, and betterment. Um, and candidly, some of, some of that was good and some of that was not good. Um, there, there is something in me that uh, wants to continue to grow and achieve and, and more that's both good and not good. Yep. And, and I'm learning about that more as I, as I mature, but that's always been with me. Um, so as I think about a habit or a practice, um, I'm, I'm willing to hear and I'm willing to receive and I'm willing to be, uh, I, I think I have a teachable spirit. And so I'm, I want to grow. And so people that I trust, I'm willing to hear from them and how I can grow. And, um, so that, that's, that's kind of been with me for a long, long time. Yeah. So in your reflection, um, is it more of like personal reflection and journaling or is it more of, Hey, inviting others in to reflect with you tangibly? What does yeah. that look like? Yeah, it's both. Um, so something that's been great about being in one place for 15 years is, and, and thankfully a lot of the people that I'm here with have had tenure here as well. Uh, so Matt and I have been together uh, for 15 years. Uh, Michael Bleeker has been here for 15 years. And I can name other leaders that have been a part of the, this story for a long, long time. Well, that, that's over a third of my life that I've been with these, with these people. And so I've had the privilege of growing with them um, and, and really not. So I, it hasn't happened in isolation. So my reflection is... Um, is both a personal reflection and a communal reflection. And uh, there, there's been plenty of times when, uh, you know, I, I've had late nights with friends talking through, walking through, working through, discussing our growth as men and women and leaders. And, and again, that's just a grace that I've been able to have 
because I've been in one place for a long, long time. So people have seen that trajectory. They can call out certain things in me that they see in me. They can activate certain things in me. Um, uh, they can challenge me to grow in certain areas. And there's a long-standing trust that's been in place that I'm just really thankful for. You know, I had a pastor tell me one time, and I would say it's one of the, it was a catalytic moment for me in my leadership. He said, uh, and this, this guy's name is Ed Newton. He's one of the speakers that speaks at Student Life Camp with us and now a pastor in um, San Antonio. But he said, teachability is a trophy of being captured by God's grace. Hmm. And That's great. I, it floored me, and I'm still a little shook when I, when I think about it and say it. But I hear a lot of that through what you're saying, Josh. Reflection, being teachable, being humble. Like for me, teachability is me looking in the mirror and saying, could I actually be wrong about this thing that I'm actually so passionately think I'm right about? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Well, right. May, maybe I should be more teachable on this, but maybe I'm not right right now. Right. So, I, man, I thought that was really wise. Uh, I'm sure you've read like, you know, a couple books. <laughs> Just a few. Over your, the span of a lifetime and, and your leadership. But what book do you wish, looking back now, that someone gave you when you were just starting to lead or learning to lead? Oh, man. Um, you know, that that's one of those questions where, as I think about the progression of my leadership, there were seasons where, and again, I just go back to God's kindness and providence, where he brought the right person at the right time, uh, or he brought the right resource at the right time. He brought... He has just faithfully uh, given me those deposits um, that have been really, really helpful. So I'm wondering, like, the season that I'm in now, would I receive this book the same way as a 25-year-old? I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that there's a concept that stuck with me early on, um, and it's kind of this idea of the dark side of leadership. In fact, I... I had to read a book in seminary called Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership. And that, that would not be my book that I would recommend. But <laughs> concept of the book is sometimes our leadership gets rewarded and we grow in influence, even if our lead, and I already mentioned this, even if our leadership is being compelled by something that's broken. Mm. And um, so for instance, there is something in me that requires achievement uh, and, the, and a drive. Well, the challenge is there's a social reward for achievers. You know, there, there's, a, there's a church reward for achievers. So the fact that I, I uh, can move things forward and have um, a, a relatively large capacity and, and leadership drive and engine well, that gets rewarded, but some of that uh, has has come out of real deep hurt and real deep wounds. Um, so, was, what what is it that's broken about my understanding of my identity, where I'm really I really don't know that I think I'm worth too much if I'm not achieving or accomplishing. And so, if accomplishment is the bedrock of my worth, uh, well, then guess what I'm going to do? I've got to accomplish. Yep. And if you don't, well, you're going to feel like a failure. Absolutely. And I can't, that's hard for me. Um, well, that, that accomplishment is not being driven by an identity rooted in Christ. It's one out of fear of failure. And so this book starts 
started me on that thinking journey, probably when I was in my uh, mid twenties around what are those broken areas of my life that are compelling me and moving me forward. Um, and the Lord has just been adding to that trellis um, and giving me more categories around that, which I'm very thankful for. So I'm just aware. It just feels like a grace that he's given me and an awareness that I've, I'm trying to walk in more humble self-awareness about the parts that are driving me that are good and the parts that are driving me that are not good. And this goes back to my community. My community knows that part, those parts about me, and they're helping refine me in those particular instances. And so, um, you know, as of late, uh, Brene Brown, if you've, if you've not read any of her work, you know, we just did the daring greatly quote, well, that book put new language, um, and gave me some new categories. that was really helpful, um, for me as a leader. And so, uh, I, I wouldn't endorse everything that she's written in the book, but man, uh, she's onto something. And so I'm not sure if I gave you an answer. It's like, no, that's, that's great. Here's a yeah. question. Would you, you said you wouldn't recommend the book. Um, would it still be helpful for somebody to, to read it or maybe skim it? Um, the yeah. dark side of leadership. But here's what's crazy. I don't even remember what the book is about. <laughs> I, I, I just remember that kind of concept yeah. of what if my leadership is being driven more from a fear of failure or a fear of not being accepted or a fear. Like, what if that's true about me? Yeah. And so I've just been trying to get to the bottom of that question uh, since since that became a category for me. Man, so so I, I guess the book's good. I, I really don't know if the book's good. I just know that sentence yeah. has haunted me in the best kind of way since I read it. Well, I think John Piper has a quote. He says, it's not the books that shape you, but it's sentences that do. Right. And if, if, it, if a book spurred you to that, I, I would hope that the author would say, it did its work. So that's yeah, awesome. Amen. And I, yeah, I was listening to a podcast today. Dr. Phil was on it of all people. There you go. Dr. Phil, who's actually, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you watch the show or not. I don't watch the show, no. but if you get him on a podcast for more than a 30 minute show and he's talking for a couple hours, really sharp guy, really smart guy. He was talking about how when he was younger, he grew up in Texas and to get to the pool, you had to walk across pavement. And we've all mm. been in the summer um, when it's really hot and we're standing on pavement and it hurts. And he's like, that was enough to make me run and get to the pool. And his point was pain is a great motivator. And so right. fear of failure, fear of not coming through, but fear of pain too, that dark right. side of leadership. Let me avoid this pain and this challenge. You've talked a lot about challenge, Josh, and yep. some pain you guys have gone through, but pain can actually be a really good thing because it yep. motivates us to the great things and motivates mm -hmm. us to uh, holy and righteous things for the Lord. At least it should, um, not for yep. everybody, but yeah. Just a thought but, from Dr. And I feel like I need to say this. Um, th this is not just my story. So it's not like ah, I came from a broken home and I've got to work through all these things. This is just universally true about people, that people are broken and people will have to work through their brokenness as they move forward in maturity. And if it's in leadership, then in leadership, but just in life. Um, and so uh, it's not just... Hey, I had a rough background, therefore I got to work through some things. Uh, people will have to work through things yep. because <laughs> that's good. We all bring something to the yep. table. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sinners at heart. Yep. Well, Josh, I know you talked around this. You've served uh, an executive pastor role, uh, what some would call a number two type of role most of your ministry. And I know that 
many people come to you for wisdom and guidance in that area. So what would you tell a young leader who feels called to ministry, feels called to the local church, but doesn't feel called to be the lead pastor? What, what would you say to them? And I just had a conversation with a guy about this yesterday. And um, what, what, I, what I think is really important, and this is more my, my charge to senior pastors or lead pastors, is this is what Matt did so well here. Um, so I served as executive pastor from 2005 to 2010, so five years. And then we did a, we did a staff restructuring where we now have three lead pastors. And so Brian Miller, Matt Chandler, and I are the three lead pastors of the Village Church. So I don't report to Matt. He didn't report to me. Brian doesn't report to us. We're all peers. And, um, and the, way that, the way that we got here, and I can remember how significant this was, is Matt championed the value of other gifts that were needed and necessary to move an organization forward because he recognized how powerful his gifts were and how limited he was in other giftings. So when you think about Matt, you primarily are thinking about his his, uh, ability to preach and communicate. He's kind of a once in a generation guy uh, in that realm. It's it's phenomenal. Um, He's a great leader. There are limitations to his leadership and Matt recognizing those limitations and then kind of championing the value of other leadership that needed to be at the highest levels was important. And here's how it played out. I can remember a a situation where uh, this goes back to probably, I don't know, 2008, 2007, a long time ago, where we were in a meeting, Matt and I were in a meeting with a bunch of other department heads at the time. We're working through a budget uh, for the next year. And Matt and I disagreed. And uh, we, we disagreed at first. It was kind of a quiet disagreement. Then, then you could feel that <laughs> the energy in the room was, was elevating. Uh, and the energy was elevating mainly be- between Matt and me. And it, it moved into what we would call robust dialogue. <laughs> robust, so, that is uh, really good. Robust dialogue. Yeah. And what started happening is everybody else got quiet. And Matt and I um, got more animated about our positions. Now... In that particular case, and in that instance, um, I think I had the better. I think I had the better play. Uh, I think the direction that we should have gone was the direction that I was advocating for. That doesn't always happen, but that was in that particular case. I think I had the right one, and uh, and I thought Matt was was off. Uh, grateful for his insight and input, but I think if we went the way that he wanted to go in that particular instance, it wasn't going to be the best decision. Hmm. Well, now think about how pivotal of a moment that is. What he did in that moment is he said, okay, I trust you. I think you're right. We'll go that way. And he did that in front of everybody. Wow. And so what happened in that moment is what that communicated to me is this is a culture where leaders will be valued. So if, if Matt wanted me to be here to be a yes man to his leadership, then you're requiring a different kind of person uh, to be here. Um, but in that moment, follower to be there, you were trying to follow, which is fine. Yeah. Leaders yeah. need followers. Um, and, and I wasn't trying to be the type of leader that challenged his authority, uh, in an unhelpful way, but in a, we long for the same thing here. So let's do this together. So good. Well, then the room started to see, oh, leadership is accepted here. 
And so what we're trying to raise up is not minions, but leaders. And, um, and then Matt in that moment, I think had a, a validity deep in his heart of thank God I have other leaders here that can help me carry this. Well, that, that moment became a pivotal moment in kind of our relationship and our understanding. So we actually left the room and went to a lunch that we had together. And we talked about, again, going back to the reflection piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that felt like a really great moment. Uh, felt like a pivotal moment. Mm-hmm. And um, so what I would tell lead pastors, which I, I think, you know, the question was for executive pastors or young pastors who don't feel called to lead, to be the lead pastor. I want to champion the need for more strategic leaders in the church. Uh, It's one thing to have a preaching gift and a communication gift. My goodness, the church needs that and needs that in spades. We need more of that. It's just not the only gift the church needs. Absolutely. And senior leaders need to be the ones who are championing. And I mean, from a real genuine place, other leaders to rise up in and among their midst and, and then not feel like I have a lesser gift if I have more of a strategic leadership gift. Because if you have somebody that, that can be the visionary kind of lead pastor who can see the skyscraper, but has no idea where to put the stairs and the bathrooms and the rooms and the entrance and the exits and how to get there, then it's just a, it's just a vision. And anybody can come up with a good vision. Mm. Uh, it's a whole different thing to think about how to strategically lead towards that vision. And, and that is done better in a plurality of leaders because no one person has all the gifts. So what I would tell this young guy or gal who doesn't feel called to be the lead role is I would tell them to unashamedly be a leader, be a leader. And if it works out for you to be a leader in the church, then be a leader in the church. Um, and uh, I, I, want, I want the church to value that type of leader um, more readily and more publicly, because I think it's better for the church if and when they do. Man, that's that's really good, and it's incredibly timely too. I, we're going to get to quick hitters here in a second, but I feel like a lot of my friends that I have, and I would say even some with me, Josh. So, in my role in ministry, I would say I have a desire to preach. Hmm. I have a desire to teach God's word, but God right. has just personally, I know you don't know me very well, but right now God has revealed that is not my calling for your life right now though. You know, desire is not equal calling or desire does not equal, I'm going to do this one day. It could, but it doesn't always mean that. And so I would rephrase the question and just really quickly, Josh, because we got to get to the quick hitters. What would you tell a young leader who desires to be a lead pastor, senior pastor and have the pulpit, but it's just not working out? Because that's where a lot of my friends and peers are man, I just, I want to preach and I want to teach, but I can't, I feel like I don't have any opportunities and it's not happening. And I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines saying, is it supposed to, Hmm. you know, maybe I don't want to be, I don't want to be a jerk or anything. I want to ask the question, (laughs) is that your calling? How would you, how would you answer that to them or, or speak to them about that? I I would encourage them to be patient. And, um, but then also as you think about your own story and, and, um, and God's story and how you fit into that, um, Maybe, maybe the internal calling isn't matching the external calling that other people are are seeing and sensing. And so, mm-hmm. I think there's a time to do serious reflection around that. And uh, I, I personally uh, feel com- confident and competent and 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 gifted in teaching and preaching. 
but it's not what I want to do primarily. Um, and I enjoy it when I'm done with it. Um, and <laughs> it's one of those things that I'm grateful for, but what it's not what I want to do. So I, I think I would try to widen and cast a, a bigger vision for what some people uh, see as, as really key senior leadership in a local church. It, it can, and this is like Kevin Peck. Peck says there are some who lead because they preach and there are some who preach because they lead. And, um, and I think that's, I think that's just a helpful little maxim to consider. That's, that's really good. I want to just like, I can't really drop my mic. So I'd have to push it down (laughs) forcefully and make a weird noise. But it was so good. Yeah, it was good. So helpful. Well, hey, let's get to the quick hitters. So quick hitters, we're going to do questions with short uh, answers, one minute or less. So let's get to this first one, Josh. What is your ideal daily routine? What time do you wake up, get in the office, do you exercise, go to bed, et cetera? Yeah, ideal. It doesn't happen a lot, but (laughs) I've got four kids, so it changes. But There is always the ideal than reality. Yeah. Yeah, I am up early. Um, but not too early. I'm not one of those guys or gals that has the gift of no sleep. I need my sleep. Um, but I, I would prefer to get up in the sixes and, uh, and then I would prefer to exercise in the morning and be, uh, in the office in the eight o'clock hour. Uh, I would prefer to go to bed in the 10 o'clock hour and, uh, life does not always lend itself to something easy like that. Yeah. That's great. Next one. What is your favorite personality test? Oh man. Um, my favorite personality test, the one I'm most familiar with is your unique design. That's the one that we've used here at the village for a long, long time. Uh, obviously the Enneagram is, is all the rage, right? <laughs> all the rage, uh, but we have not, we have not officially adopted that at the village. I feel like the disc, uh, has proven uh, worth over the test, uh, kind of over, over time. And so, but the one I'm most familiar with is, is your unique design. Can you unpack that one a little bit? I'm, I don't know if either of us are yeah. too familiar I, with it. It strikes a chord, but I don't. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it kind of talks about, um, various levels. So you, you kind of have a, a foundation and it, it kind of moves through the imagery of a home. So you move from the foundation all the way up into the attic and the attic, just like in your home, is is you don't go there often. You can go there. It's just you don't stay there a long time. And then the foundation is something you don't even have to think about. It's just there. And so, like, I'm a foundational persister. Then, then the living room space is, for me, is achiever. And then harmonizer, then catalyzer. So, it, it's some of that language. It's just, it's been in our culture for a long, long time. Um, but, yeah. What's your, oh, since it's popular right now, what's your Enneagram type? Three. <laughs> Cheevers, man. I haven't taken it yet, but I think Chan- you're not supposed to type <laughs> others, but I'm typing Chandler. I think Chandler's the three. So okay. we'll see. We'll see. Oh. Um, what is an unusual habit that helps like now that helps you in your leadership? <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's unusual. I like to, in my reading, I like to read classic uh, works of, uh, and I like to read, um, I like to read in a way that I'm hearing insights from insightful authors in story form. Um, so I like to read books that have stood the test of time in terms of, uh, both fiction and nonfiction, but I, I feel like good classic fiction helps paint a picture of the human condition that I find insightful. Do you like 
Patrick Lencioni's books and the way he writes fables? I, f- I feel like his books are the most approachable mm-hmm. and he puts the cookies so low that it's just easy and it's sticky. So I do really appreciate the way that he writes. I would not consider his fables classic literature, sure, <laughs> but I'm not sure he would either. But I find his books some of the most helpful leadership books that I've read. Awesome. What, is, what is one of your favorite classic fictions? Well, um, in different seasons, different, different stories have stood out to me. Um, but I, in the season we're in right now, um, kind of the idea of like 1984, mm-hmm. if you've not read Orwell or, uh, Aldous Huxley's, um, Brave New World, it's, it's just interesting to see the insights of authors from decades ago and how some of that plays out. Um, you know, I like, I like To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I, I just, I like the way people can can tell a story in a really, really profound way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I enjoy reading those. It's not all I read, but I do enjoy those. Yeah, I love that. I've I found myself going back to some of the books that were recommended in high school that I really yeah, totally. didn't really read and going totally. back and really enjoying them. So yeah. um, I definitely find value in that as well. So, I mean, you brought up reading. The next one is when do you find time to read? You, you got four kids, you have a f- very busy job. When do you find time in all of that? I, I in the margins, and it, it's pro- this is probably the biggest frustration in my in my personal development right now is I don't have the time to read like I want. Um, I I am doing audiobooks uh, all the time, so uh, but it's not the same for me. Uh, I like sitting down and reading. I just hardly ever get to do that anymore. So. Every time I'm in the car, I'm I'm done with the radio and I'm on to I'm on to audiobooks. So most of the books I'm reading now are audiobooks. That's great. And I, I do that I do that all the time. I feel like that's everybody we've interviewed so far has said something similar, audiobooks becoming a big thing. Yeah. Well, hey, the last question. Um, what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? Uh, stay hungry, stay humble, stay faithful. Hmm. So good. So good. Succinct, yet powerful. Stay hungry, stay humble, stay faithful. That's great. Well, Josh, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and and sharing and being vulnerable with us. I mean, just about your leadership journey, where you've been, what you've learned, and who you were as a young leader and what God's taught you along the way. So really thankful for you being a part of this. Well, thank you, guys. It was an honor to be on. Well, great. Well, and if you're listening today, uh, we thank you for, for listening in. And we hope that this has been helpful for you and your leadership. And if it has, please go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Please, please give us, please. Please. We Josh is desperate over there. We need there. to achieve for Chandler's sake. <laughs> we need to achieve. No, but for real, if this has been helpful and you think it'll be helpful to another leader, just go ahead and share it with them as well. Thanks for joining us. See ya.